0: Welcome to Oak City Church, a family of learners, lovers, and givers sent. For more information, visit us online at oakcitychurch.com. Let us know if we can help you in any way. Thank you for listening. Luke 2, 5 through 8. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest
1: room available for them. First John 4, 9-10. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Luke 23 44 through
0: 46.
1: Lord Jesus, master of both light and darkness, send your Holy Spirit upon our preparation for Christmas. We who have so much to do seek quiet spaces to hear your voice each day. We who are anxious over many things look forward to your coming among us. We who are blessed in so many ways long for the complete joy of your kingdom. We whose hearts are heavy seek the joy of your presence. We are your people, walking in darkness, yet seeking the light. To you we say, Come, Lord Jesus. And the children are dismissed.
2: Okay, Can you hear me? Yeah, yeah. All right. So thank you ladies for reading the passages. It's the last Sunday morning sermon of 2023, the week before Christmas, and we're going to go full circle uh, big picture today. I'll put this here. Uh, as Jeff mentioned, he was kind enough to have heart surgery a couple of weeks ago and allow me to fill in the week before Christmas. The final week of waiting before the big day And over the past few weeks, we've been going through Advent, which means arrival. And at first, to kind of refresh your memories, uh, we had Ken talking about hope. Uh, We had John talking about shalom and internal peace and joy with Dan. And we also learned that during the season that we're a church that celebrates Christmas through guitar solos and burning Christmas trees and apparently very loud shirts. Uh, And while the guitars and bonfires are decorations or the way that we take communion are very much a, a part of our cultural preference for our congregation, the understanding of Jesus' story as an act of God's love is one of the core beliefs held across all of Christianity. Because ultimately what we profess is that the story of Christmas is the central part of the grand love story, capital G, capital L, capital S the true and greatest story, uh, love story ever told to and through humanity. So that's what I want to talk, or that's what we're going to be going through on this last week of Advent is a talk about love. And what I want at the end of the day is for us to marinate, to really understand the big picture of what December 25th symbolizes and what your part in the story is. If you're not a follower of Jesus, you may have heard some different Christmas stories of the years like these examples i found the santa christ is the jolly guy like bean who lives far away but knows whether you've been good or bad and rewards accordingly the sweet baby jesus uh, celebrates a little lovable infant in the crib uh, but most of the time he sits in the closet with the rest of the nativity scene Uh, the sweet baby uh sorry or the the merchant messiah who says that you must buy things at christmas time else you're not in the giving spirit now, all of these interrupt the, uh, the true message and the even more ludicrous story, true story of the Bible, that God's divine interjection of himself into a messy personal relationship with mankind. You may have heard that we wouldn't celebrate Christmas without Easter, and that's the truth. Uh, for people who don't think of themselves as Christians, the first thing you'll hear from my mouth is that it's a crazy story, right? It is. And it's one that we still can't really fully understand that God came to earth in the form of a baby with the mission to one day sacrifice himself to every person, man, woman, child, and idiot on the planet. This is a story that you stay in your seat until the end of the post credits hoping for a post credit scene. And this is the part of the grand and, and the part of the of the grand love story that we're talking about today begins at Christmas. So he went there with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, uh, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn son, uh, son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. Now, this doesn't really seem like a thriller of a scene. Uh, but the true tension of the story doesn't exist with them not having a manger. The, the tension of the Christmas story had been built long before that. I recently watched a deep dive on the movie E.T. Um, and it was an interview with Steven Spielberg. And it turns out that when Steven Spielberg was his teenager, his parents went through a very turbulent divorce, and his dad was the source of blame. Well, Spielberg goes on to tell the story that E.T., was written as a very personal story set up, if you remember, through the family torn apart by a dad who had left them and the impact that it had on the boy, Elliot. And the loneliness and the abandonment that Elliot feels allowed him to emotionally connect and ultimately bond with E.T. after he's left behind by his family. And so now that already amazing movie, that already amazing story becomes even richer as I understand that it reflects the creator's heart. And I think that to really understand and appreciate the story of Christmas, we have to understand the context of the grander story, the cast, its creator, and the creator's heart. The Old Testament tells the story of the tension leading up to the Christmas story. And really, it's a a story that's filled with humanity, us, trying to do things on our own. We tried to live and we tried to do good and love on our own terms, yet time and time again, we found ourselves looking around at a terrible world in a spot desperate for more love in ourselves and for those around us. Does this story sound familiar to you in your own personal life? Jeff often talks about how the most fundamental thing a person needs is to be told that they are good and they are loved. We are desperate for love. It's in our songs, it's on our Facebook, and it's in our hearts daily. So why is love so hard? So first things first, what is love? If I were to ask you, what do you love, what would you say? So show of hands, what do you love? What do you love? Chocolate, Chocolate, family. Is that wine? Wine, okay. Potatoes. Potatoes. (laughs) Oh, sweet potatoes, Well. Yes, you live in North Carolina. You have to love sweet potatoes. Spouses, this is bonus time. Oh, your wife. Very good. So do these all mean the same thing? You love chocolate? You love potatoes? You love your wife? Uh, so, so let's go back to uh, one of the verses that, that we read. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not know God, uh, because God is love. So does that fit in with chocolate and sweet potatoes and and your wife? (laughs) Jesus turned water into wine uh, is the defense of the person who loves wine. Uh, So what is love? You may have heard love is love or that all you need is love. And in one of those, there's an expression that, the, uh, that whoever feels or shares an experience of love is determining the authenticity of the love. And the other, the Beatles sang the song, all you need is love. And then they broke up. These mottos are incredibly succinct and beautiful, but they ask us to dive right in without looking at the depth of the water behind them. All You Need Is Love is also from an iconic scene in the movie Love Actually. Anybody seen Love Actually? Uh, and it's at the wedding scene where um, the, the best friend of the groom had gotten a band to sing All You Need Is Love. Well, it turns out this best friend is secretly infatuated with the new, uh, his best friend's wife, and it's later discovered he's been taking creepy videos of her. And in one of the more memorable f- scenes, the friend expresses his undying love for the new wife as perfect, even though it was established that they had rarely spoken to each other. And then as the moment ends, we're privy to a secret little moment where she kisses him. So now this guy's wife and his best friend have a lifelong secret to keep from him. And we're supposed to be moved by this scene in a moment. and Well, that's love, actually. Like, love actually, actually has some terrible examples of what love actually is. And this is supposed to be a Christmas movie, like keep that in mind. So what is love? I found this picture that I wanted to use to highlight a research example of the different loves. And take this with a grain of salt because the respondents were college age kids in Denmark that self-reported where they felt love. And it also diminishes the idea of love to an emotional response or feeling. That aside, I saw it as a good visual to represent the word, that the word love is ambiguous at best. Uh, in the top left, there's passionate love that's felt all over the body. And then in the bottom right, it's the love for strangers. Um, so what is love? It's, it's an ambiguous term. Turns out that, that one of the problems is the English language is an incredibly lazy language and pitiful for describing and delineating love. What I don't get is that, according to internet research, is that there is 2,985 synonyms for the word drunk. So that's nearly 3,000 words to describe something that maybe one or two or three words would use to express excessiveness. But for love, there's one word that bleeds across these vast array of ideas. So, yay English, I guess. So what kind of love were we messing up in the Old Testament? in our lives. What kind of love is being described in John when it says that God is love? C.S. Lewis has a book, The Four Loves, in which he highlights that there were four Greek words that can be translated to the word love in modern usages. In other words, every time we read the word love in the New Testament, there's one of these four Greek words behind it. The book goes through these four Greek words, plus the English word likings, Uh, that we obviously substitute for love um, uh, as an important differentiation. And these categorizations are not forever to cement this in stone, but it it at least helps us delineate it a little bit. So we'll look at these four words real quick. Um, likings, storge, filio, eros, and agape. And we're gonna jump through these, but just to kind of get it in your brain, Likings is love towards an inanimate or natural world like wine or chocolate or sweet potatoes. <laughs> uh, storge is affiliation and affection. Filio is brotherhood, friendship. Eros is romantic love. And agape is charity or commitment that desires only the best for the one who is loved. So let me read this verse again. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. Now, the first thing that should jump out to you here is that John says that God is love, the highest form of love in the Greek word agape. It is his nature. It is his directive, and it puts him as not the, uh, not the primary, but the only source to provide this charitable love within the human heart. Now, I'll go ahead and acknowledge this. That's a heavy assumption to start the conversation with, especially if you're not a Christian. But even if you are a Christian, the idea that love exists outside of a personal emotion, moving into a spiritual realm, and is given elevation to a a primary attribute to a supernatural being. And yet, even though there's no scientific proof that love exists, it's still a working assumption that it does. People research the effects, as we just saw. And the emotions and the concept of love, its benefits, and have mantras like, love is love. So if love, this amorphous blob, this unquantifiable thing exists, then the question beg is, where did it all come from? Another 80s reference. Was it Bill and Ted and the Wild Stallions playing their guitars after all? The Christian answer is unswervingly no. It was God. Not only that, but his love is unnatural love, that is experienced apart from many of the natural loves we know. The natural loves we experience are but glimpses of the true nature of love of the highest form. Lewis writes, Every human love at its height has a tendency to claim for itself a divine authority. Its voice tends to sound as if it were the will of God himself. It tells us not to count the cost. It demands of us a total commitment. It attempts to override all other claims and insinuates that any action which is sincerely done for love's sake is thereby lawful and even meritorious. Without these natural loves being either bridled or stood up, we get love and really life wrong. So let's dive deep into these individual loves, and then we're going to hop back up to Agape. Again, keep in mind that this is all setting up the context for the Christmas story. So bear with me, we're going to dive a little bit deeper, and then we'll come back out. So likings, love towards inanimate or the natural world. Likings are the first love, and they are as simple as they sound, that you can like and hold value in your heart, but aren't directed, but the love isn't necessarily directed towards a person. The smell of nature on a quiet walk, the love towards a country or a house, the insular world of a Netflix binge. It's one of the most basic and natural loves that we encounter on a daily basis as it stimulates our senses and satisfies our biochemistry and our emotions. And you have your own personal attachments, but I love some Marvel movies, personally. For some it's traveling, for some it's football, for some it's their country. Uh, It's the answer really to the question, what do you love? As opposed to whom do you love? And in that vein, it would be really odd to promote uh, a liking love to the equivalent of a human relationship love. There's a love to give, there is no love to give, um, and thus the liking love is a one sided relationship. I'm the taker satisfying my own needs and for my own pleasure intake. I couldn't say that I love football in the same way that I love a person. Um, And I can't, uh, football has no qualities about it that demands such a claim. There is nothing I can give to football. I can only take away. But the fact that we use love uh, in this way allows us to deceive ourselves. Because it's much easier to express a desire to give to things that give us satisfaction and pleasures as opposed to a a relationship, which is a lot messier. So the likings of our heart don't reflect the true nature of love. To love is to make yourself vulnerable to the wonders and pitfalls of a relationship. And there's no human escape from the pitfalls, from the potential of heartbreak, except for where love is not present. And the only, uh, the only way you escape heartbreak is either in heaven, where love is perfected, or in hell, where there is no love. So the rest of these loves are talking about relationship love. So storge. Uh, storge is a way of describing affection and nearness. It's not necessarily the strength of the relationship, but more how the relationship formed. Uh, this could be your family. It could be some uh, community members at your church, uh, your neighbors, your coworkers, et cetera. And here, uh, it's uh, these are people that come into your life not necessarily through a choosing of your own, and yet here you find yourself uh, here you find yourself spending time with them, and it might be the, the people might be even comically opposite in the direction of your of your uh, choosing, and it's not that you need to, it's not that you even want to, but here you are spending time with them, and in Storge we see a glimpse of ourselves appreciating people that hold views that don't necessarily align with ours, and. Uh, so this relationship isn't necessarily about receiving love. It's, it's a glimpse of being able to share uh, in God's goodness of creation in other people and seeing goodness in them that you, would, uh, that you wouldn't necessarily choose or even expect to exist. At Adopt-A-Block, I see all sorts of conversations where I don't, I, there's just conversation I don't even expect to happen. Uh, when I used to visit my grandma's house as a kid, uh, I would be hanging out with a lot of my family that I would see once a year and um, i don't necessarily have a passion or an interest in the farming life but once a year it was kind of cool to hear about it that's Storgay. someone in some way may know god through Storgay, because they grew up knowing or hearing about him um, but ultimately that's not the relationship that god desires that's storge love Filio is in many ways the quite opposite of storge. We have chosen our friendships and we can let down any pretenses. All friendships kind of exist on an equal footing. Uh, the ideal of friendship is that when asked for help, it's not even a burden. It's only time uh, that was not spent enough with that person. Filio is a love over common shared things like wine <laughs> or uh, machinery or personalities or football or, or whatever. But there is a feeling of love received and a gift of love exchanged, almost transactional. It provides a wonderful connection uh, amongst people. Um, the funny thing about love is that when you're in those certain groups, you know what the answer to some question is, even though uh, when you're with other people, you would say the, act, the, act, the complete opposite. And therein lies the funny nature of friendship love is that, as Lewis says, it can turn good men better and bad men worse. Now, I have an ongoing text thread with some of my uh, buddies that I've known for the vast majority of my life, one that I've known since I was six. Um, And I'll be honest, sometimes it's incredibly difficult for me to pull uh, myself out of childhood friend mode in these text threads. Um, But Scripture, thankfully, does not use filio to describe man's relationship with God. Uh, because with Philio, there's a sense of equality and no indication of virtue. Both are which, uh, incompatible with the relationship between the supreme being and a human being. Contrarily, the Bible does describe God's romantic Eros love in relationship with humanity, as is often described that Jesus came to marry the church. Now, Eros, as you know, is the same root word as the word erotic. Uh, but sh- it shouldn't be confused uh, with erotic nor lust. Uh, when, uh, another quote from Lewis says, when we say of a lustful man prowling in the streets that he wants a woman, strictly speaking, a woman is just what he does not want. He wants a pleasure for which a woman happens to be a necessary piece of apparatus. Arrows, by contrast, makes a man really want not a woman, but one particular woman. Eros is a deep, romantic love that encompasses everything about it. And so this is probably what most of us think about when we, uh, when we talk about love, and it's really no surprise. Roughly 70% of all U.S. Top 40 songs since Billboard has been around have talked about romantic love. That's since the 1940s. You might can call it the Taylor Swift Eros Tour. And if you laughed at that, shame on you. And shame on me for writing it. (laughs) Uh, But Eros is by far one of the most powerful energies on the planet. It demands a need love and allows us to give love. It is unbelievably powerful for better or for worse. In fact, 14 of the 15 songs uh, between 1983 and 2016, of the most popular songs, sorry, uh, referred to the anguish of romantic love. That i'm sure we've all experienced in one way or another so why do we find ourselves worshiping romantic love paraphrasing here eros is driven to promise what Eros cannot do can we be selfless in giving romantic love for a lifetime barely a week even we even when we present our best romantic selves it turns out that our old selves were never dead and if that selfish zombie is not yet back on his feet, he's already complaining on the ground. This type of love is not all you need. It's barely what you can stand at sometimes. Eros, like the other loves, uh, but maybe even more so because of its strength, attractiveness, and terror. I mean, you saw on that picture of how it encompassed, or how people described it. it. It hits every part of our being. It reveals its true status, but it will crumble under the weight of its own promises that it makes eros will either die or become a demon unless it obeys god so what is a lover to do what are we to do we demand passion from our romancers we need love from our friends we expect affection or at least respect when we're uh, in moments with others we need recognition from our parents we seek pleasures from an inanimate world We are needy people expecting an endless supply of love in all its forms as though we deserve it. The problem here is twofold. uh, First, as finite beings, we have a limited supply of love. We cannot give or receive enough love to satisfy each other. Secondly, do we, do you actually deserve it? Why should you deserve to have such a vast amount of emotional and spiritual energy poured into you? As a reminder, the need to be loved is not a sin in the same way that it's not a sin to need breakfast every morning. But the funny thing here is that people seem to be want to be loved for their cleverness, for their beauty, for their generosity, for their fairness, for their usefulness. But the unspoken truth of our character is that we need to be loved in spite of what we, what we do, not for who we are. And, we, we, and when we accept the reality of this dilemma, the last thing we should uh, expect to get is undeserved grace poured over us. It's stepping into a cold shower that feels like a warm shower of love. Now, I'd be foolish to stand up here and say that seeking agape will fulfill all of your needs immediately. Or even as long as you live, but it is something to help um, set the proper second place status that the natural loves are meant to perform in your life, to help them become modes of charity, channels of God's agape, to spread to the rest of the world. Once sees here, at uh, Lewis writes, "So one sees here, at once a sort of echo or rhyme or corollary to the incarnation itself, and this need not surprise us." For the author of both is the same. As Christ is perfect God and perfect man, the natural loves are called to become perfect charity and also perfect natural loves. As God becomes man, not by conversion of the Godhead into the flesh, but by taking of manhood into God. So here, charity does not dwindle into merely a natural love, but natural love is taken up into Made the tune an obedient instrument of love himself. It's a love story. Baby, just say yes. And so now we can finally come back to this baby, the Christmas baby, in the Christmas story. So go back to the question about love being deserved. This is the tension and the setup to the Christmas story that has to be carried as you read. the the manger and understand uh, what the nativity scene actually represents. God had chosen to be entangled with humanity since the beginning through an agape relationship of commitment and undeserved charity. His creation had free will, uh, full of capacity to love, and to do the right thing, and gave them endless ways to do it on their own. He started out with them in the Garden of Eden, He left them alone before the flood. He gave them a tribe through Abraham. He set up a theocracy. He gave them heroes. He gave them kings. And he gave them prophets. This was the entire Old Testament. All with the goal of of allowing them to express their love and thankfulness to him and through each other by obeying his his law. Through each bout of divine interaction, they, we, proved time and time again that we weren't capable of obeying. Our priorities were out of order. Our love and dedication weren't enough. And there was no hope of earning grace that we internally recognized that we desperately needed. The world would never be saved without God's love. Now, do you feel that tension in the story? What about in your own story? How many times have you tried to do the right thing, attempted to love someone, Love, attempted to love people the way that you thought that they ought to be loved in the realization that the way that they needed to be loved was beyond you? Have you ever been loved, but what they gave was not enough uh, for what you need? That's the tension. So what happens next in the story? Remember, God is better than Steven Spielberg. He declares, hey, let me show you one more thing. Embracing the entanglement, embracing heartache, and bringing a limitless supply of agape, God incarnated himself into a baby. What we celebrate this week. The creator's uh, dad would not abandon him. The creation's dad would not abandon him. O holy night, silent night, O come let us adore him. Joy to the world, the first Noel. Noel. What child is this? Go tell it on the mountain that Jesus Christ is born. This is how God showed his agape among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is agape. Not that we agape God, but that God agaped us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. This is how God showed his agape to you. He sent his one and only son into the world that you might live through him. This is agape, not that you agape God, but that he agape you and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for your sins. The Christmas story is that God bore himself human. And then for 30 or so years, he lived the perfection of truth, grace, and love. And the ultimate declaration of love sacrificed himself for us. As Kelly said, it was a king who gave away his crown for the cross. And that's the part of the story where it doesn't make sense. The entire Old Testament showed us that we weren't capable of doing things on our own. The history has, of mankind has shown that we, you, can't do it on our own accord. But in spite of that, and maybe because of that, he invites us, you, into direct relationship with his charity, his love, and commitment through a belief in what he's done. And that's agape. That's love, actually. And so think about uh, that: that how much better he loves you, how he loves you more than anyone else in your life can. I read uh, that What someone is willing to pay for something determines the value. Jesus was willing to give his life for you. So what does that say about your value to him? What does that say about his love for you? And today, we're living past the Christmas story. We're living uh, past the credits of the crucifixion story. And we're invited to be uh, part of his cast on his grander story, the next chapter of a much brighter movie. Every year we come looking for the magic of Christmas, The ultimate realization that I'm eternally and unconditionally loved is the magic that we're longing for. So this week, I just want you to marinate on this. That you are so loved. You are agape, Not just liked. Not just storgied. Not just philoed, Not just erosed. But agape. And not because you loved him, but because he is love. And I pray that you thank God for this gift. And receive it in your heart. We're gonna, the band can come back up. Uh, We're gonna take communion this morning, which is the continual reminder of God's uh, blood spilled out of love for you and God's body uh, broken for you out of love. We'll close in prayer. Dear God, um, thank you for love. It's something that we all experience and that we all know that we get wrong. And yet you continually pour your love into us over and over and over and over and over. God, help us to just marinate on what your agape means to us in our heart, that we can share it to those around us, that we can imbue your agape love into all loves in our life. Help us this week as we think about uh, the gifts of Christmas, that the ultimate gift was you. And that while gifts, physical gifts, can symbolize our gift for a, a, each other, that it's ultimately the agape, the, the commitment, the relationship uh, that you give to us is is what we're trying to express through those gifts. Um, be with us this week and help us to um, uh, mend our hearts towards you. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.